Uh, welcome if you're visiting this morning. Uh, my parents are here this morning. If you see them, Ron and Becky, give them a, give them a big hug or a high five uh, after the service. Uh, it brings joy to my heart to see them here uh, supporting me this morning. Um, thanks to the praise team, I feel like we just sung half of my sermon already this morning, so maybe we could, uh, maybe I'll cut a little bit out to get you out a little earlier today. But, uh, Pastor Nick and his family are uh, on a trip in uh, Michigan this morning, so uh, be praying for them uh, as they travel. And then later on in the week, they'll be going to Kentucky to uh, enjoy, as we just sang, and how great they are at the woods and the brook and the gentle breeze. Um, I was with a, a brother in Christ this week on Friday. I took off from work, and we went to uh, Tecumseh Trails. And uh, as fun as ripping through the gears and hearing the exhaust echo through the woods, uh, being with a brother and uh, sharing our love together in Christ was uh, way more better than even riding the four-wheelers. It gets me emotional even just thinking about it. Uh, So let's pray this morning, and uh, we'll dive into uh, Ephesians 5. Father, thank you for your goodness toward us. Uh, Each and every day uh, you provide, um, you you eagerly give out of your generosity to us. Lord, help us to have thankful hearts to, to see and to know how you're working in our lives, not even just through the, the good things that we celebrate together, but through the tough trials as you build the endurance uh, in our souls. Father, for those that are not of you, that can be a, uh, a challenging thing to go through. So, Father, I'm thankful for those here that you've called your own uh, and how you're with us. And uh, we offer you this, this, these songs and this sermon this morning to you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I'm, I'm Russell. I'm one of the elders here at the church. And uh, it's an honor to get to share a passage out of the Scripture with you this morning. I'm going to give you a little introduction to the passage here. But when we get there, it'll be on page 978. I'm going to have several scriptures on the screen that I don't uh, expect you to flip to. Um, they're going to be underlined on the screen, the key points that we want to hit. So to, to kind of help you to follow along there, that will be a, a, some helpful advice for you. Um, we have typically started with a memory verse. I hope as a family you guys have maybe been doing this, maybe as you drive, maybe before you eat dinner. Uh, it's been a real challenge to our family. We were greatly helped by the folks at Sayota Hills uh, memorizing this and putting the verses with it. But uh, today we will be going over verses 8 and 9. And uh, I've actually uh, put those in the middle of my sermon where a place where they just, just fit like uh, peas in a pod. So we'll be, we'll be going over verses 8 and 9 uh, later on together this morning. Uh, today, Ephesians is one of Paul's letters, one of his epistles, as the Bible calls them. There's many of them. And uh, there's this, this common flow throughout Paul's letter, where in the beginning chapters, he goes over kind of the what we believe section, or as Nick called it, the theological section. And then toward the end of his letters, he changes to the what we believe determines how we should behave. So our belief determines our behaviors. We go from a theological letter to a practical letter. And for, if you're like me, the, the practical parts of the letter are my favorite. So today, Paul is going to challenge us. He's going to remind us that if we believe that our sins, our debt against the Lord Jesus has been paid for, and we have been reconciled to God and to each other as a church body, that there should be a motivation. That should be our motivation for our behavior. So Paul's going to describe how we should be behaving. Paul has been hinting at this as Caleb uh, gets ready to rocket through these verses with me today. Paul's been hinting at that all along in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 4.1, Paul reminds us that as a prisoner for the Lord, he urges to walk worthy of the calling, which we have been called. 
Later on in verse 17, Paul said that we are to not walk any longer as the Gentiles do. We're to walk in a new way. Similar to what Pastor Nick preached last week with the put off and the put on. And the Mr. Rogers taking off his jacket and putting on his shoes. I don't have any Mr. Rogers video clips for you today. But I do have a good uh, example of contrast coming up. Uh, which is what Paul's going to use today. Contrasting is one of my favorite ways uh, to learn. Um, and Paul is uh, Paul going to use this today. And um, the definition of contrast is when we take the differences shown when multiple things are compared. They kinda con- when we contrast something, it shows or expresses the opposite things. So like some real practical examples of this would be like light versus the darkness. Completely different. Or dead versus alive. Or simple as black and white. These are contrasting ideas. Now to better illustrate this and to make today's message more effective for you, I wanted to start off with a striking example of a contrast between my beautiful wife, Josie, and I. So we got a picture here of Ikea. Uh, just a quick show of hands. Do we have any Ikea shoppers in the room? Yeah, yeah. See some hands going up there? Well, yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, Josie and I, if you were to ask us, what do you think about your shopping experience at Ikea? You would get a strikingly different or a contrasting opinion. Josie would say something like this. I just asked her this week. She didn't know what it was for, but... This is what she said. She says, I love and enjoy hours of walking through Ikea. I enjoy walking down every single aisle and looking at every single thing. There are so many examples of how to set up your rooms differently. Sometimes I just go, ooh, and ah, and wow, that's a really neat idea. I love Ikea. You should definitely go. Now, if you were to ask Russell, however, I would say something different. I would say, don't go. It's a trap. It's an impossible human maze that will take hours to get through. There are tons of rooms that all look the same. The kitchens have fake food, and after hours you will be hungry. Your stomach will be growling. And then they have these fake exits. They deceive you. They lead you to overpriced food stands, and by the time you get out of there, you'll be broke. Don't ever go to Ikea. So you see the strikingly different opinions of our shopping experience at Ikea. Now, it's not a sin for uh, Josie to uh, have a different opinion, but God has used our love towards him to love each other, and God uses me to love my wife while being patient when we have opinions that differ. But as Paul will show us today, there are certain sins in the Christian life that must not even be named among us, and he will use some contrasting things to highlight those for us today. So again, if you're using the Pew Bible, you can start on page 978, and uh, we're going to start to look at this passage. Paul starts this passage with the word, therefore. And you guys are probably getting this down by now when we see the therefore. We have to ask, what's the therefore? Therefore. So I want to highlight uh, Ephesians 4.32 from last week. Uh, Nick was preaching on this, and uh, this is how we ended. Paul said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. If we were going to highlight the main passage of that verse, we would, we would highlight, as God in Christ forgave you. 
we know that through the Holy Spirit that we are one in Christ. If you remember the rap that Hannah and Noah and I did when I preached on the mystery of the gospel from chapter 3, we said the mystery has been revealed, that the Jew and Gentile are now one, that they're bonded together in Christ. And that's the same way for you and I, are bonded together with Christ. We see that God has forgiven all of our sins, just like he did for the Jews and the Gentiles. We are one. It's how anyone is united with Christ. So here we go. How are we united in Christ? Our memory verse tells us how we are united in Christ. So we're going to put that up on the screen, and uh, I'll, I'll slow down a speed, and let's, uh, let's say this together. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So anyone that has been forgiven as God in Christ has forgiven them, it was nothing that they did. It was strictly the grace of God working in the life of the believer. Now, this is why at VCC, when we do church membership interviews, we're looking for some key thoughts in your testimony. And we want to make sure that it lines up with the Bible process of salvation. If you've ever uh, given any evangelistic efforts or talking to people at work or people on the street or wherever you might be, one of the key verses to the gospel is Romans 3, 9, and 10. And this 3, 9, and 10 actually gives us a dilemma to what we're talking about today. Caleb, if you want to put that one up there, we'll see that in Romans, Paul tells us that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands and no one seeks God. So then the rest of our memory verse, this raises a dilemma. Well, if no one seeks after God, how does anyone ever go from dead in our trespasses and sins to being made alive together with Christ? But we believe that God does this work, that he opens our eyes to see that we have fallen short of his glory and we are in debt to our sin and we deserve the penalty of our sin, which is death or the wrath of God, as we sang earlier today. But praise God, like in verse four, that God is just and he will justify those who have faith in Christ, that they will become righteous. This is a faith that believes that Christ died on my behalf. He died for my sin. And that he was raised from the dead as a promise that I will be raised from the dead. And I will be seated with him in the heavenly places. This is the gospel that we've been working through in the memory verse. That is good news. Could you imagine that tomorrow you showed up for work and everyone, your boss and your employee said, Just go home. The work's all been done for you. Wouldn't that be great? Well, the gospel news is better than that. And if you're here today and you believe this news, you have a great promise that we've been reminded of in Ephesians. As Paul wrote to us earlier in chapter 1 in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, he told us about our seal. He told us that as we believed, Caleb, in verses 1, uh, 13 and 14, he told us that when we heard the word of the truth, that we can't work to earn our salvation, but Christ did the work for us on the cross. When we believe that, that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. I think of as my mom and as my wife now cans peaches. When we get those 
how many courts we did, a bunch of them this year, and when we get those out and we look and we see that they're sealed, and at any day of the year we can pull one of those out and it is preserved and fresh and ready to go. God seals us when we hear and we believe the gospel, and we receive an inheritance. We'll talk about that today as we just sing, How Long, O Lord, as I'm riding my four-wheeler down the trail, if Jesus were to come through the clouds and when the believers would be united together, that four-wheeler would get ditched down the ravine. I would be united with Christ forever. And we look forward to that day where we will go home. More exciting than even getting to go home from work. We look forward to that day where we will inquire the inheritance of our eternal life with the Lord Jesus. So Paul Paul starts here with therefore. He wants us to be grounded with the connection as Christ in God forgave us. And then he goes on to say in chapter 5, verse 1. Here we are on page 978. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's a lot in this verse and a lot of pastors spend the whole week just preaching on these two verses. But I wanted to remind you of the lens that, of the therefore, that as God in Christ forgave you. So we want to look at this, these two verses with that lens of as God in Christ forgave you. There's not a higher calling than what Paul gives us here to be imitators of God in our Christian life. Now there are things about God that we can't imitate, like his omnipresence and his omnipower. But what Paul wants us to imitate here is his faithfulness and his unconditional love and his grace and his holiness. Paul says to imitate that. And he goes on to say that Christ imitated that as he sacrificed himself uh, for us. As Paul called these Ephesian believers in this letter to imitate God and walk in love in this calling, this was not a call of self-help, of pull your bootstraps up and try harder to look better, more godly, more churchy. It was a reminder of who they were as a result of God's grace toward them. To help us remember this important principle, I've put some verses together to help remember who you are in Christ. And Caleb, in 1 Corinthians 5.17, again, Paul tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We have been born again, made new. The old has gone, the new has come. Put off that old, put on the new, as Nick preached last week. In Romans 5.8, we see the remembrance of Christ dying for us while we were still sinners. We did not clean ourselves up to come to God, to become his loved children. In the beginning of uh, verse 1 there, it says, Beloved children. It could easily be translated as loved children. God loves his children. We know that God loves his children. We know that God loves the whole world because of John 3.16, Caleb. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave Christ up. That those who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's that promise of the inheritance that we have, the eternal life. Now all throughout the Bible we see this love of God, but there's, there's kind of different levels of love from God. God generally here in John 3.16 loved the whole world that he gave up his son. But there's a special love for what the Bible calls the saints 
or the believers. I love this passage out of Galatians 6, where Paul is ending up his letter to the Galatians, and he reminds them of this special love against the believers. He says, to do good, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's a special love between those and the household of faith. As I was explaining about my four-wheeling trip on Friday, going with one of my brothers in Christ made that a special trip. And Paul starts here by reminding us that God loves those who he called. He initiated that love, and he initiated that love even while we were sinning. And he calls us to imitate that love to each other. Now as Paul moves forward here in verse 3, we're going to go from this idea of how to love, what that love is grounded in, and he's going to give us some practical principles to live our lives in that way. But sexual immorality in all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Paul says in verse 3. Now we saw that uh, Paul calls us to be holy. We saw in uh, Peter's epistle that he says to be holy as God is holy. These, these sins listed here are so godless and contrastingly different to the character of God that a person should never suspect them in the presence of Christians. Paul's beginning to use his contrasting views here with this list of sins. This covetousness that is listed here is a jealous longing for what others possess. I don't know if you've ever had a covetous thought in your mind. If you see something that someone else has and you begin to get these emotions and desires to have and want one of those. That's listed in the same sin as sexual immorality, which includes idolatry and sex outside of marriage and homosexuality. These are public sins, and these work against our call to be holy. In the beginning of Ephesians in verse 4, Paul said that we should be holy and blameless before him. And God chose us before the foundation of the world. There has never been a loophole or a road out of living in these kinds of sins and claim to be a believer. Paul goes on with another list of things in verse 4 here. He says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Here's another good example of a contrast. In contrast to crude joking and foolish talk in verse 4, there is a better way of conversation. Paul says things that we are thankful for. A thankful heart is one that doesn't covet, like in verse 3, but is thankful for what they already have. They don't have jealous desires for things that other people have because they're content with what God has given them. And this is something that my family has to work hard at. But we use prayer in this method of being thankful. Prayer takes work. Prayer is a commitment. And it's a commitment that must be worked at. And to help my family with this commitment, we have started almost every prayer with something that we are thankful for. And it's been beautiful how God has worked through that in Josie and I's lives and even in our kids' lives as they struggle with getting their greedy little paws on everything that they can. A thankful heart is one that does not covet. Paul goes on to say in verse 5, what happens to these people that live in this kind of sin? For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral 
or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Paul starts here with, for you may be for sure of this. I don't know if you've ever tried to convince somebody or something, but you might say like, this is the absolute gospel truth. Paul is making a big point here that people involved in these things, sexually immoral, impure, or covetous, will not inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. As I was studying this uh, passage, there's a parallel passage in Colossians 3, and uh, it's, it helped me to see how God and his saints uh, prevent these kinds of things from coming into their lives. And in Colossians 3.1, we see that if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You see, covetous thoughts start by seeking things that we don't have that we shouldn't have. Whereas if we have been raised with Christ, we seek the things that are above, not the flashy bait that the world offers us. We see in Romans 14 that this also gives us a way to live that is honoring to God. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit has sealed us, as the Spirit convicts and comforts and counsels us, we can keep our minds on things that are above because of what God has done in us. As I said, these sins listed in verses 3 and 5 come from covetous thoughts. And all addictions start with a covetous thought. I've enjoyed a pastor who specializes in addiction counseling, and those messages are great to listen to. One of the things that he uses is this, this method of the devil's LSD, he calls it. And it's the lust, sin, death. So when we get a lustful thought or a covetous thought, and we act on it, it leads to sin, and then it leads to death. Paul tells us how to avoid that here by seeking the things above. Now, there is a question that we can ask to help discern this in our lives when those things tempt us or when we're helping a, a brother of Christ or even a non-believer. It comes back to the purpose of our own life in the world. This is one of the most common questions asked from believers and non-believers. What is the purpose of man? What is the purpose of my life? I hope that you all here would be able to answer that, but there's a, there's a really common answer that really sums it up. And the answer is, we exist to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. As we read in Ephesians 1.14, we know that we have this inheritance. And in this verse where Paul says that these people will not inherit the kingdom of God, Paul is not saying that we can lose our inheritance or our salvation here. It is a stern warning to not give in to these temptations or thoughts or even give them a chance to linger in our minds. It is a reminder of where we came from and where we are going. It, it God deserves our worship. We deserve to glorify Him and nothing else. And if we turn our desire for satisfaction to anything, including four-wheelers, if we turn our desire to satisfaction for anything but Jesus, it will let us down and drag us away in sin. I'm sure you all have something that you could insert there in your life that 
attempts to drag you away from your satisfaction in your Lord. Now, I found this really interesting as I was studying this because we had just read in uh, Romans that no one seeks after God. And now we get this great wisdom to seek the things above in Colossians 3. So in other words, seek God's will to be our will. What a great reminder this is of the miracle of our own salvation. It was impossible for us to seek the things of God, but now it's possible for us to take the minds off of all the flashy, shiny bait that the world dangles in front of our face every day and continue to trust in the Lord for His ways and His satisfaction. You might need to be encouraged today by that, or you might need to encourage a brother or sister in Christ today to seek the things above. Moving on to verse 6. Paul goes on to say, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Plenty of places in the New Testament, like in 2 Timothy 3, we talk about these people who are, appear to be godly, but they're not really. Paul describes them in 2 Timothy as people who will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy. They appear to be godly, but they continue to live unrepentant lifestyles. And Paul promises here in verse 6 that they will see the wrath of God. John talks about these in John 3, uh, where he uses the light and the dark, the contrasting analogy. He says in John 3 that they love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Jesus is referred to as the light in that the light penetrates the darkness. And that real believers in Christ will not live an unrepentant lifestyle and they will see the wrath of God. These kind of people are similar to Judas. If you remember the 12 disciples, as in our Ephesians memory verse, those who follow the course of this world, the prince, the power of the air, are considered sons of disobedience. Judas in John 17, 12 was referred to as the son of destruction. Judas for three years walked with the other disciples and appeared to be godly. But Paul tells us here that don't listen to these empty words. That people who continue to live in an unrepentant sin prove themselves to be children of the devil. Now that is a tough saying, but the Bible only gives us two options. Either you are a child of the devil or a child of God. Paul and John and many other authors in the Bible make reference to this of being a child of the devil. In John 8, 44, he's talking to some unbelieving Jews and he said, you are the father, you are of your father, the devil. And it makes it real clear in 1 John three ten, where he says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. This idea of being able to live in sin publicly is pronounced. It's, uh, it's not a good thing. Jesus describes it to his disciples in Luke chapter 6 in a parable. Uh, one of the ways that's easy for us to learn as we read the Bible is in parables. And Jesus knew that. And in John 6, he talked about the parable of the tree and its fruit. 
Uh, we've had several family members and, and uh, relatives the past few weeks grabbing peaches off of their fruit trees in the yard and canning them and pears and, and other things. But Jesus knew that this was a simple contrast. He said, for no good tree bears bad fruit and no bad tree bears good fruit. He says, out of the good treasure of the heart produces good. Out of the evil person, evil treasure produces evil. There's no way that we can live a two-faced life of being in at church on Sunday and out the rest of the week. That's why Paul goes on in verse 7 to say, Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. And Caleb there, if we could put verse uh, 7 and 8 on there. He says, walk as children of light. In verse 9, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase growing up or not, but we are to be in the world and not of the world. That's what Paul is talking about here. where He says, do not partner with these folks. He said, when we are sealed by the Spirit, when we are born again, when we are made a new creation, we are saved by Jesus, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. From a child of the devil to a child of God. From an enemy of God to a friend of God. Doesn't the Bible do a great job of contrasting this idea? It should be black and white to the world who is in the light and who is in the dark. That's what Paul is getting at in this passage. So as Christians, we are no longer ruled by sin because we are no longer following the prince of the power of the air, the devil, the ruler of this world. It's scary to think that we live in a world ruled by the devil, but we do. And as we sing in How Great Thou Art, how great is it that God has brought us to him to to, to protect us and to guard us. John 12, 31, we see this idea of the devil is the ruler of this world. We see that the ruler of this world will be cast out in the end. Praise the Lord. We see in John 16, 11, that the ruler of this world will be judged. In 1 John 5, 19, we know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But we know except those who God has called and chosen and calls his loved children. As Paul starts out here in this passage. Now, as we follow Christ, we mature in Him. Our interest in the world become much less, and our obedience and love for Christ become much more. God calls us to be holy, which means to be set apart. We are not to engage in the sinful activities that the world promotes. We are to conform ourselves to the minds to that of Jesus, like Romans 12, 1 and 2 instructs us. And this is a daily task, not just a Sunday morning ritual. If you've been in a rhythm of following Christ for many years, you know that when you're uh, out of your study, and maybe your spouse will tell you that you're out of your study, you need to get back into the Word. You need to be made holy by the renewing of your mind as you read. Now, being in the world means that we can enjoy the things of the world, such as the beautiful creation God has given us, the great outdoors is a wonderful playground. I enjoy uh, riding, as you know. I got a text message from the Brunswicks a few weeks ago of a broken four-wheeler as they were out enjoying the great outdoors on four wheels and, and an engine. 
My dad enjoys the great outdoors behind the sulky of a horse as they trot around the track. God has put us into the world, and it's not wrong to enjoy the world. However, we should not immerse ourselves in what the world values or chase worldly pleasures. We were once dead and living out of the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We have been called out of that and should not partner with them, Paul reminds us here. The verse 9 on the end of that says, The fruit of the light. This could easily be interpreted as the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 is where we can find the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And just a quick reminder for you this morning that God doesn't call us to be good at one or two of the fruits. He calls us to be progressively sanctifying our walk with Christ to be fruitful in all of those ways. And when we have all of those fruits, that's what keeps our light shining brightly for the world to see to be able to contrast the difference between the children of the devil and the children of God. In verse 10, Paul says, And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. This skill of godly living comes only from discernment. Perhaps you've been confronted with a particular situation or a problem And you think, hmm, where's the answer for this at in the Bible? One time, Josie and I gave a friend the Bible, and we spent a bunch of time making kind of a reading guide. Um, It was something like it would be topical ideas, such as, if you're feeling fearful, read this passage. If you need encouragement, read this passage, and so forth. This idea was helpful, and this topical kind of reading and preaching has its place, But this discernment here that Paul talks about is the best discernment and decision-making comes from reading God's Word consistently and being grounded in it. You will find that as you feed on God's Word on a regular basis that your discernment will become more natural and you will treasure His ways in your heart and mind. Now the Bible does speak directly to many of the areas in our life that we find ourselves in conflict with. But there are many that there's not a direct answer to. And this regular reading is the best tool to use in godly wisdom in your situation and is your best defense. Paul says, to discern and to do what is pleasing to the world. In verse 11, he uses this word, expose. Now, as Christians, we tend to be fearful to expose sin. A lot of times, it's much easier just to ignore it. We talk about partnering with the children of the devil today, and we would think, well, man, we don't do that. But we do do it, don't we? Sometimes to avoid conflict or offending somebody, we'll decide to let these worldly ways sneak in instead of taking a stand for Christ. An example of this in my life is as I had a music playlist for when I was going to the gym and working out, I remember I caught myself one time jamming along to ACDC Highway to hell. Talk about being caught red-handed, partnering with the children of the devil. At first, it was hard to delete that song and Thunderstruck and all the other garbage from my phone. But that gives an inroad to the devil, and we need to expose those works of darkness for the real danger that they are. I bet you guys might have a few songs on your playlist that you only listen to the beat and not the words, right? 
<laughs> Get rid of that stuff. Verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. There must have been some deep, deep, nasty sin going on in the church in Ephesians. And some sin is so despicable that it needs to be sealed off from even being talked about, except in order to expose it. Even talking about such sins like those could be morally and spiritually corruptive. Paul goes on in verse 13, he says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And then there's another little tag on 14 Kelm, if you want to go to that one, which says, For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. This verse 13 and 14 really kind of work together here, and we could just kind of easily translated to say this it is the light that makes everything visible sin is always exposed in the light this last little poetic section here this awake o sleeper and arise from the dead and christ will shine on you a lot of the commentary said that this was part of a hymn that used to be sung as an invitation to the unbelievers in the gathering of churches It reminds me of Apostle Paul in the end of the book of Acts, chapter 26, where he's describing to King Agrippa and trying to persuade him to become a Christian. He explains how God chose and called him to be a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles. And in Acts 26, Paul says this in front of thousands of people. He says, God called me to share the gospel with the Gentiles, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see how Paul contrasts darkness and light from the power of Satan to God, and that we are forgiven in our sins, not by something we did, but our faith. And we receive an inheritance, a place among those. We see all this coming together in this climax in this passage in Ephesians in chapter 5. Some good stuff in here. We're going to close today with a, with a hymn or a song. But I hope that you see the contrasting, striking difference between a child of the devil and a child of God. I hope here, if you are here today and you are a child of God, you will see and marvel at the miracle of your salvation As God in Christ forgave you, remember this calling to walk in love with a heart of thankfulness and desire to be satisfied in Christ alone. Now, if you are not a child of God, I don't know how you will face tomorrow. I don't know what you will do when things come your way. Will you battle to find happiness in this world? Or will you experience the grace of God through a battle that was already won? Let's pray. Father, as we read through this passage this morning, Father, I pray that there is conviction in our hearts to where we hypocritically call ourselves Christians and we live in darkness. Father, what a disgrace to your name and what you've done for us and the debt that you've forgiven us. Father, a debt that we could not afford, but you erased us and made us righteous by our faith 
in Christ. Father, would you motivate us to live a life of holiness because of what you've done on our behalf. Lord, as we sing this last song, would we not worry about tomorrow, but would we look forward to the inheritance that we will receive for a battle that you've already fought for us, that's already been won. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.